Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social firm, where we look forward to taking your question and your comment. So, anyhow, what we're looking forward is to taking your question or your call, any comment that you like. The number is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Great. So we are going to take our first caller, Mrs. Y, but at the same time, I would like to just tell everyone we've got now the availabilities. Go ahead. Pick up the call and dial. Any comment or question about the mental health field at 718-683-5858. And let's go ahead. Let's go to Mrs. Y. Hi. First of all, thank you so much for yes. everything you do for calling Israel with this. Um, My pleasure. Do you have a question now? Go ahead. So, I have a sister, a few years older than me, that was sent away from my home a few years ago. And there was something, there was a lot of tension between her and my parents, especially my mother. Uh, Wait, I just want to understand. You have a sister that was sent away from the home a few years ago, and now you're saying there's a lot of tension about what? No, there was. The reason why she was sent away was there was a lot of, atten- a lot of tension. Okay. Uh, it actually went very way deeper than that, but I won't get into it. Sure. Uh, I actually am the only one that really keeps up with her now. No one talks to her. Some of my siblings are too scared to. They're too scared that my mother is going to get upset at them. But okay. She's so happy with her. Now, I want you to be aware we're on air and there's a lot of people listening, and this question cannot be removed later. Are you comfortable still continuing on air? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, very good. And you're above the age of 18? I just want to confirm. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of uh, either they don't want to talk to her because they're scared that my mother might be upset at them or they're just not really interested in their relationship. Truth is, I do keep up with her. Uh, and I wanted to know if in, it ever happens that the sibling does come home after getting sent away after many years. Well, that question is, I'll give you three answers. Yes, no, sometimes. <laughs> what do you hear in that answer? Uh, you don't really know? No, more than that. Sometimes they do, and we can discuss what it takes for them to come back. Sometimes they don't, and we'll discuss once we know what has to happen for them to come back, we'll then understand why it doesn't come back. And then sometimes it does, even if people do the wrong steps, it might happen. So let's understand. In order to have a family, have parents with a children or child relationship, have two friends a relationship, the relationship has to be mutual. It means I want to have a relationship with you, you want to have a relationship with me. There are genetic relationships, means... Mother and children, husband and wife, let's say grandparents, grandchildren, there is a connection there that will always be. And there's a more of a feeling to that. Let's take especially on a genetic level, means parents to children, grandparents to grandchildren, that connection will always be. However, if there is a huge pain or if that relationship brings only pain, sometimes the only way to survive is to disconnect. So now, in order for that sibling to get back together with your siblings or with the parents, it means either the siblings 
will learn, will feel safe to connect to her, and she feels safe to connect to them. That means both parties need to feel safe, and the same will be with your parents. It means your parents need to feel safe with her. She needs to feel safe with them. So therefore, when families do that, means let's assume your parents are in therapy, how to learn to make peace with the situation, with whatever happened to her. Your sister learns how to make peace. So now when she will meet your parents, instead of fighting and bringing up all the pain, they can move beyond that and now move to understanding or acceptance. Then the relationship does work out. Then you've got relationships when it doesn't work out. And I've seen many of those, unfortunately, where parents and children don't work it out. They're still angry, and there's always an assumption how we have in this world that there'll always be a later time when we can work it out. And unfortunately, sometimes I've seen when the Rabbi Yishlam gives someone an illness, or they're not able to work it out, or someone is taken suddenly, and people say, I never believed I never made peace. And the Rabbanim have Shilas many times. There are even Shuvas going back hundreds of years where people made a nether. They will never go to their brother's caver or to their parents' Leviah, and then when the parent does nifta, they want to make up, and then there are lots of chubas about that. So this isn't, unfortunately, a new mishigas in this year. So that means those relationships that are not worked out, no, they don't work itself out. And then the answer is sometimes, which is sometimes something can come up, that even if both of them don't work things out, but let's take an example where someone gets sick, or someone's got a couple amount of years left to go, or they bump in, or there's some trauma or some tragedy where they need to work together, and then they do make peace. So sometimes, even when two people do not change, the Rabbi Shalom has a way of making things work out, that they should make peace. So the answer is, yes, there's a derecha teva mahal that could happen. That is, if even just one of the sides will go for therapy, there's a way to get some level of peace. Unfortunately, sometimes no, where if both sides do not make any changes, it does not work out. And then the third one is sometimes the Rabbi Nishleilam does something. If he wants to really make it work out and break the Derech HaTeva Mahalach, if people don't work, it shouldn't go get worked out, then it doesn't work out. Or sometimes it will and sometimes it won't. Does okay, that answer so your question? With a more of understanding, it's not that I don't know. It's that it takes the Rabbi Nishleilam to know what the answer is. Yes, I don't understand that, but if not Which of the part parties... don't you understand? No, I do understand. Oh. Uh, Great. I'm just saying that if both of the parties for now are not interested in making peace, is there anything that I can do to make it come quicker or even make it happen? Well, let me ask you something. Can you eat for your sister and for your parents? No. Can you sleep for them? Can you go for, okay, now let's stop. Now, now let's take, I want to switch the question on to you. How much is this affecting you that they are in a fight? A lot. Scale of 1 to 10. 10 means very much. You think about it a lot. 1, 0 to 1, you don't even think about it. Probably 7, 8. 7, 8. How much of this 7-8 now is when you need to do things, when you need to live life, that your mind is stuck onto this? And think, oh, maybe we could do this. Or there's a family simcha. How do I tell it to the sister? Or if I tell her, she'll be telling me how upset she is at the parents. And when you tell the parents or you don't, they're making comments about the sister. Oh, the family's not there. How many times is your head every single simcha or when the family gets together that you're busy thinking about that from 1 to 10? So a lot of times I do think about it, maybe a 7, but 
I don't, a lot of it's not coming from me. A lot of it's coming not not from me as in I want it to be better. A lot of it's coming from I feel so bad for them that they don't have the same type of relationship because I see all these other families who have look like they have, you know, something nicer in that area because no one's sent home like that, sent away from home like that. But some of it's coming from self-centeredness that I that if I just feel so bad about it for myself. And some of it comes from I feel so bad for them, especially for my sister, who she has no one to talk to. And she, re- she really doesn't, uh, I don't think that she's so happy with it. Great. Then let me ask you a question. Look at what you're doing, because now I want to shift the question on to you. Your sister is alone. She's in pain, and she's got no one to talk to. What do you think a person that is that way, what do you think you would do, Chassashalm, if you were alone? What would you do? I'd find other people. That's right. What about if you would want to connect to your parents and to your siblings? What do you think you would do if you were that sister? I would try to connect. Maybe she did try to connect. I don't know if my parents were so... But let's assume she did. Then wouldn't she try different ways and continue to try? Well, it depends. Wait, wait, I just want you to realize that everyone's got choices. Now let's take it to your parents. Don't you think if you were your parents and you, Chassashon, have a daughter that you don't speak to at all, what would you do? Well, if I was a healthy individual, I would try to make a connection. But That's right. So what I want you to realize is many times when you've got parents and children, I'm not saying all the time, but when it gets to a level that they are not speaking one to another, the issue is not the fight that they have. The issue is that either one of the parties or both of the parties are very unhealthy. So now let me put the question even a bit more blunt. How similar is that sister to your mother, or that the one that they're challenging each other? Well, I guess they are similar on both that they both Bingo. Are Let's stop right there. I don't want to take it more. What you need to realize is you're trying to come up with solutions thinking with a head with a mind that comes up with ideas, with creativity, how do we make it work? And you're trying to help two people that are, have a different nature, which is more, it's got to go my way. But, but I think deep down they do want it. No, 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 stop that. You see what you're doing right now? Notice what you're doing. You just started thinking for them. If you deep down wanted to change, what would you do? If you, Chasa Shalom, had a daughter that wasn't speaking to you, what would you do? So we'll try to build a connection. But That's right. Stop. Hold on. If you were a sister, if you were a daughter, and you have no connection to your mother, what would you try to do if you have an issue? Again, I'll try to make sense. That's right. How much of these two, based on their natures, are they trying to connect to the other one from 1 to 10? Hold on. And how much of their natures are they the other way? They're saying, I want the other one to bend to me. So honestly, I don't know, because they don't tell me. Of course not. You're just talking to your sister. How much time is your sister busy talking about what she's trying to do to connect? Or how much of the time is she busy complaining about how wrong your parents are? So we don't really talk about that anymore. That's right. So let's stop there a second. So your head, what I'm trying to explain to you is when we live life, many times we live life, based on what we think is going on, how we want people to live, but based on our view. 
So the first lessons that they teach us in college in the first year in social work school is about we cannot help people with our lens and with our lenses. We need to put on their lenses. You're assuming based on your nature that they want to connect. And what I will tell you is until you don't speak to them, it might be likely that they would much rather not connect to one to another if any of them are going to have to change. So you in your life, that you're a flexible person, you'd say, I change because I need connection. I'm an emotional person. People have different ways of looking at life. I'm almost finishing up now, Meretz Hashem, my second book that I'm in the middle of writing, so we're almost done. We're now in the final chapters, and then, of course, it's got to go to editing and to the whole process, so at least six months away. But it's based on the four natures, Eish, Mayim, Ruach, and Afar. So fire is one type of personality, wind is another type, water is another type, and Afar, Earth, is a different type. Earth nature, which what it sounds like your mother might be, the way you're describing it, and your sister is very grounded. Think of a mountain. A mountain does not want to move. A mountain does not, want, does not bend. A mountain is here I am. There are two ways to get through a mountain. Either you're going to go around the mountain, or you're going to, let's say, do when they have the trains, you're going to have to make dynamite and bomb through the mountain, but the mountain did not move. That is offer. You might be Mayim, you might be water that's very flexible, you might be Ruach that's flying, that, has, that will always go around. So recognize, recognize that what's happening over here is that you're trying to help people based on a different nature. And you are stuck because you sound like more like you're that Mayim energy. Mayim is the water. Water takes any shape. The water is flexible. Water will do anything to get to its goal. It will go around. It will go over. It doesn't mind changing everything and it will hold on to its idea. So you're thinking like one nature, but you're dealing with people of other natures. Does okay, that make so sense? Basically, there's nothing I can really do about it. What I'm saying is that by you worrying about them, you're taking away your beauty in life. You're taking away your happiness. You're taking away your focus on your growing, and you're stuck with them. Okay. I'm not telling you don't. There's nothing you can do. What I'm telling you is the other way. I'm telling you that by you living your life, you being a success, you continuing to be flexible and work out relationships, it might once come a time at a simcha where your mother will say, you know something, I wish I can connect to her. And you go, well, why can't you? To get to learn to be flexible. When they reach out for help, you might be able to help them. The point is that your sister isn't either reaching out for help. So your sister is being, let's say, that offer, that rock energy, and there's a huge positive to the offer. I don't want it to sound like depressing or down. The offer energy is someone that is here and now. The offer energy is even when it makes, when it's impossible to go, they will still pull through no matter what because they go forward. The offer energy is when there's a door and the door is locked, they'll be a bulldozer and go right through no matter what. There's a lot of power to each nature has its strengths, to each nature has its weaknesses. The weakness to Mayim, as you're describing, is you're carrying, you're feeling everyone's pain. It means you're the person that thinks, how can I make it work? Every company, the, 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 let's say the CEO, which is the chief, Right under that is the CFO called the Chief Financial Officer or the COO, the Chief Operating Officer. Usually waters are the people, the water nature are the people that make everything work, and they usually get the least glory. 
But you need to understand that you're walking around with pain that's out of your power to help, and it takes your energy. If you would realize, like you said, from a 1 to a 10, this is on your head a 7. On your mother and on your sister, this is a 1 or a 2. They aren't affected by it, but you are. It's not you that's disconnected from your mother or you're disconnected from your sister, but you're carrying their pain. And that's where I don't want to tell you, like, go for therapy, but that's where the awareness comes in, in therapy. That's what we call a lot of codependence that we discuss in many of the programs, where when you can live and shine and when your sister might want to reach out talking to you, but it's not about, if it's about complaining about mother, you go, no, 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 guys, uh, your sister, I don't want to talk about her. I want to talk about your day. I want to talk about my day. I want to talk about what I did in school as a teacher or what I did in my work as a secretary, as a manager. Let me talk about other stuff, not that. If you want to really change the situation, I think you need a therapist or a professional, not me. So you will not allow the enabling to go. You're not going to get caught up into how can I make it work. You can't really make it work if you're a younger daughter. You can't. You need to have more power, more authority, and that's just to get it going, and then you've got to remove yourself. Okay. So what I'm helping you realize is me as a therapist, instead of discussing how to help your mother and your sister get connected, I want you to realize by you helping yourself, by you laughing, smiling, having the brain, understand our brain has a certain amount of muscle, of energy that we have. When you're spending the energy on your sister or on your mother, you're not spending it on yourself. Okay. What are you hearing? Could you just tell me what you're hearing from this message? That I should basically not spend all my energy on thinking of other stuff that don't make me so happy. I should try to... Not only that, you don't even have the power to change. The two people that have the power to change is your mother and your sister, and both of them aren't interested. Do you realize that? So what you need to learn is understand your nature, that you're a sensitive nature. It doesn't mean sensitive as in weak. It means you have an awareness. And what's happening is your nature, if it's not learned, if you don't know how to use it, it will suck you down and you're going to lose your energy just thinking about everyone else's problems instead of focusing on where you need to grow and what you can have out of life. Okay. Okay? Great. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for being brave and calling up. And the number to call in is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. And we would like to have callers call in. We've got now Mrs. B on the line. And again, please call up. Let's hear your question or your comment. Anything about the mental health field, always just to request. A, it should be family appropriate. We've got children listening to the program, as well as for us to have, um, as well, it's not a parenting question under the age of eight. So, again, the number is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Mrs. B., you're on with Mordechai. Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call again. Um, I'm actually calling. I called last week, and I wanted to share an interesting development. Um, Great. Please I do. called about my daughter who all of a sudden didn't want to, go to school. She had a problem with their reading groups, and she, for no yeah. apparent reason. Um, what happened was I took her to the doctor just to, for a checkup, just to make sure that she's feeling fine after living physically, and she was. They, um, they saw her throat was a little sore, so they took a culture. It was negative, so everything was fine. So the next day I sent her back to school. She was a little 
uh, sad about it, but she went. She was brave. And then it was two days after that she was ready to go to school, and she was still not very happy about it. I got a call, and I nearly didn't take it because I was going to the bus. But then I picked up, and they called from the medical center that she was positive for strep. That was two days after going to the doctor. That was probably about a week after her fussiness. So it turns yeah. out it was physical after all. Good. And once she took the medicine, how is she? Um, she's fine physically, but I'm I'm afraid if that if, 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 that it should, it, it might have made a certain trauma or negative pattern because she still doesn't want to go to school now. Yep. That's why we recommended then, right? And then just get a little guidance. But mm-hmm. thank you for calling. That definitely trap strap can have an effect. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Welcome. Thank you for following up. We are going to Mr. E. Mr. E, you're Mordechai. Hi, Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem, Shalom. I would just like to tell everyone again, we can call up. Let's get a couple of people calling in. The number, let's get a couple of people on the line. Just waiting so we could go good. We've got another one just called up. Let's get a couple more people calling in. 718-683-5858, Excellent. We've got now two, three people. This way we could go from one to the next, and we'll take the questions. And I just want to w- wish Rav Nissen, he's not on the program this evening because he's got Bachshem two simchas. So if there's ever a reason not to be on, it's for a wedding, and we'd like to thank Nissen for taking over. So I offered him to join the program, and uh, he pleasantly declined, but we appreciate him answering the phones, taking care of everything that goes on behind the scenes. Thank you, Nissen. Great, great job. All right, we're on with you, Mr. E. Okay, Shalom Aleichem Matchach, how are you? Baruch Hashem, fantastic. Okay, great. Thank you so much for taking my call and for yep. giving your precious time and your experience to Salem. Yeah. Okay. Um, my question is um, a twofold question. Yeah. Um, Baruch Hashem. We have wonderful film clinics that for a big part of Kleisel that can't afford um, the high, high premiums of medical insurance, which goes runs for about fifteen to $20,000 a year. Um, so we have government insurance, and we're able to go to clinics and get professional help for those that need it. Yes. Um, there is a downside. Now, I'm not going into the... Um, the therapist that worked there. I'm not going to discuss that. I'm talking right, about. I'll tell you what. Let's go. What's your comp? Let's instead of giving history and that because I I'm not enjoying like where it's heading to. So let's let's stay focused. What's the point that you would like to make? Right. My point is is um, everyone has to sit among each other in the waiting room. Yes. If someone feels very uncomfortable, that center, someone, whoever's listening and you're in a center, please try to come up with another idea. You got it. Next. What's the second point? I'm sorry? No, I said your point. We announced it. What would you like? You're not happy that if there's a center in a waiting room, people sit together. Great. We're saying it on air. We're telling people listening, if they work, if they're in a center or the director of a center, please come up with a private waiting room. You got it. No, is that is that a legal is that a legal thing that they have to do it that way? I don't know. I don't work in a center. I don't know the center's um, stuff. I don't know. Okay. Second question is: Go If ahead, someone feels uncomfortable that way, 
Is that a lack of self-esteem? No. It makes a lot of sense why someone won't, wouldn't want to go. You want to keep yourself private. You don't want someone to go. I don't want to call a lack of self-esteem. Some people might feel that people will recognize them. They won't have their privacy, and they don't want to go. Nope, that's acceptable. But let's realize the other part. But then you've got to do the other side. The other side is that you've got to then pay for your therapy. It means you can't not go for therapy. Not going for therapy is not an option. I'll share with you, I have a very close friend of the family that we used to eat by us a lot for Shabbosim. And this person, basically he had a medical condition, and he had to go to a doctor. Found out that the top doctor is a from doctor, and found out that it's a lady doctor. And he felt very uncomfortable going. So he found out who's a second doctor. But then he found out that really, for what he needs, the best doctor is that from doctor. He said, you know something? He went over to her and went, and she said, okay, and, and you know, like doing the whole checkup and everything. And he said, it's very uncomfortable. She said, I really understand. Like, if it's someone that, you know, I know from the past, not that they currently know, because you don't work on people that you know, I understand it. But that's the medical system, which means let's recognize, and I just want to create the awareness, we want everything this generation. I, I have an issue with that. People want it free. People want it, the right therapist. They want specific timings that they want. When the therapist doesn't work, they want the setup made exactly where it is. If you would know what I go through, and this is a private where we work in, the request that people have, it's impossible to please, and then people still don't want to come because it's not exactly done the way I'd like it. So, of course, a person has a choice not to go to, to a general clinic. You have that right. But you also have, but what you don't have the right is not to go for therapy. means then go ahead and borrow the money. I always share with everyone that one story, you know, when every therapist learns their lessons. So I had the famous story where someone came to me. I worked on Sholem Bias, and it was the family owed me $10,000. It was one of the first cases way back when, when I got hurt, and letting everyone owe money and all those disasters, I almost left the field. But what hurt me from that story was that after we put the Shalom Bayes together, the family did not want to pay me $1. They still have a $10,000 balance. Maybe this is going back 14 years. But then when there was an issue with having children, and then they needed for Bona Olam to come up, because Bona Olam is the most amazing organization where they helped out, where Bona Olam came, some of the procedures or tests are $100,000. Bona Olam comes up with half, but you have to come up with half. The family had no problem putting together $50,000. So if not for Lefidar HaTeva, my work, they would have been divorced. For that $10,000, there was no money to keep the marriage together. Wow. So my friend, to everyone listening, the Rabbi Nishleim, we're in a Medina Shal Chesed, where this wonderful government gives us therapy that's paid for by the government, but for whatever reason, it's not yet, the privacy isn't there. You do not, in my opinion, you do not have the choice to say, I don't want to go for therapy. Your choice is, do you want to go for paying therapy? Do you want to go to a paying therapist where you'll have to take a loan to get better? Or are you going to go to a place where it's uncomfortable, like sometimes doctors? You're not comfortable, but you're going to do what you've got to do. So getting better is the solution. Does that answer your question? Is that more the focus? Does it refocus you to your options? Right, no, no. My question was just if it's a lack of self-esteem. That's it. I believe that people have a right for privacy. It's not... Some people are proud that they're going for therapy, and some people feel embarrassed that they need to go for therapy. I don't know if it's a self-esteem. We're still in the community. Is there that something to be embarrassed program. about? That's my question. Say that again? My, my question is basically, is, does a person, could a per, could, if a person has a healthy self-esteem, should he be embarrassed to go for therapy? Or he, could, or he should feel that, listen, it's okay to have issues. 
I'm a healthy person. It's okay. I could still have issues. So, again, everything depends. Depends on the age. If it's a teenager, they don't feel that way. They feel the whole no, world is perfect with them. What? I'm talking, I'm talking about a, a, a married I know, person. but I need you to understand there's a lot going on there. It means maybe the first 20 sessions they feel embarrassed. But then once they do it, they feel okay. I have that with many clients. At the beginning, they're embarrassed. They don't know what therapy is. They still think they have to have problems. And then once they're in therapy, they see how normal it is. Or you don't have to have problems. You're seeing how your life is getting better. Then you don't care. Almost every client that I'm talking about meeting other people. I'm talking about meeting other people in the waiting room. That's exactly what I'm saying. Right. There's a process of growth. There, I, I, don't unlike, I don't enjoy when people make, let's say, blanket rules. If you have a healthy self-esteem, you can do this. Let me ask you, if someone has a healthy self-esteem, are they going to be afraid the first time they have to speak publicly? Of course. If they have a healthy self-esteem and they've spoken publicly 30 times, will they be as nervous? Of course not. Which means it's not about a self-esteem. You can have a self-esteem, but you're doing something. It's the first time. Remember, people go for therapy. You don't go to the doctor when you're healthy unless you're going for a well checkup, which most adults don't do. So most of the time when you go to doctors when you're not feeling well. So all I'm creating is the awareness that I don't want to call it a weak self-esteem if someone doesn't want to go where they will be seen. It could be they don't know what it's about. They just think it might be something. I don't like blanketing a whole rule to everyone. Yes, it can be a weak self-esteem to many people. But I, so what I'm explaining to you is in my private practice where we've got a center and where we've got a private waiting room, people the first session say, thank you for having a private waiting room this way I don't bump into anyone. After the 20th session, and we walk them out, so this way we have every therapist walk them to the door, because in case another therapist is just finishing with a client that no one should bump in when you open the doors, they tell, oh, you don't have to walk me out. I don't mind if I see anyone. I go, I know, Baruch Hashem, you got to that level, but others still might not be at that level. What I'm trying to explain is that self-esteem is not like a blanket rule. Oh, if I feel good, I'm not embarrassed about people. It's sometimes something you want to build yourself up to that. And also depends. Let's say someone's in Shaduchim level. Then they're worried. They're not worried about their self-esteem. But reality is that in our from world, a lot of people like talking. You know who I met there. And these things happen all the time. So, mm-hmm. yes, it can have a self-esteem issue, but many times it's not. Mm-hmm. Got it? Okay. So there are, there's Got a it. blanket rule about it, in my opinion. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. We are going to Mrs. N. Mrs. N, you are on with Mordechai. Yeah, hi, how are you? Baruch Hashem, wonderful. Thank you for asking. Um, I would like to know how can I help my seven-year-old daughter do homework, go to school and camp happily. Um, I was home with her until the age of three, and by three I sent her out to a playgroup. And she always cried about it, complained about it, and the teachers always said she was fine. Um, right now she's doing homework better, but generally she has a hard time going to school or camp. Um, cries a lot about it. Um, you know, she's had friends in the past, so that wasn't an issue with a friend. Um, okay, let me ask you a question. How many parenting workshops have you taken? Parenting workshop I took. Um, 
Well, one whole session for sure. Like a no, whole, I'm uh, talking about 10 sessions. I don't remember. It was a while back. Okay. So that's usually the recommendation. In other words, you're asking a very how-to question. It's not a one bit of like a device, do this. It's learning how to be assertive, learning how to be firm, learning how to respond to your daughter. It's, it's not a one-question answer. That's why I just apologize. That's why we don't take questions under the age of eight. Because usually these questions are already dealt with. Like you've had to deal with it already at that age. And if you didn't, then you get a guidance. You just get advice. That's what parenting workshops are, out, are there for. And if your daughter needs more one-on-one, so then you just get the one-on-one. means it's okay. It's a very normal issue for kids not to want to do work. It's normal for, for parents to be able to get them to do it. What about not going to school or camp? The most normal, well, well, the most normal thing, what kids, let's think about it. If a kid is home, they got undivided attention from mommy. They get to go out to pizza every day for lunch. And then you go to school and you got to share all that time with 20 other girls. And the mm-hmm. teacher tells you now you're sitting and now you're doing homework and now you're starting to do tests. Which kid wants to go to school once there starts being tests? Not one. What happens is the parents know how to be assertive that when the kid understands that there's no options, that you're not even complaining, and there's a system to do when they complain that you know how to do it, then all of a sudden the kid just goes. So the classical example I give when I do the parenting workshop once a year, we're not going to do it for another year, so I'm not promoting mine now, but where us from Yidin, when it's 100 degrees outside and it's Shabbos, we're still going with our hat, our jackets, and the men will be wearing their talas if it's places that don't have an Arab. And the Hasidim will be going with a Shreimah, with a Bekacho, even if it's 100 degrees. We don't think five times. We're not, oh, it's terrible. We might go, it's hot, but we're going. You just go to shul. And that's what, when you are that clear, and that's what the workshops are there to get you clear within yourself, then your kids feel that clarity and the kids just go. So that is why workshops are not a one-time deal. It's the longer you're taking the workshop, the more confident you are, the more, res- the more responses you have, the more tools you have how to deal with your child. You'll see how natural they go. And these workshops that we do also are for teenagers. And most importantly, that all the parents say is what the workshop does, at least the ones that I do, is it gives them structure again. It teaches them well, this is what i got to do. When it makes you doing your job, then you're able to make them do their job. So there's usually a twofold benefit from those that take the workshop. Mm-hmm. Does this right? have anything with anxiety separation? Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's not go to anxiety, anxiety separation if you didn't take two separate workshops and to speak to someone one-on-one. Okay, now I think what I'm telling you, help. 100% okay. of the children do not want to go to school. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with her not going. Mm-hmm. It's you now, getting the skills, you getting educated someone. is something that's normal. Mm-hmm. Now, I sent it to speak to someone. No, 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 the wrong person. If you would, anyone calls up my center for the child under 16, the parents must be in therapy with us. I will not take a child that the parent doesn't join. Join the sessions. No, not join their own sessions. I'm sorry, say that again. If your daughter would come to me, you would be taking your own sessions now. Not about your daughter. What's your weakness? What holds you back from being assertive? What are your doubts? What are you worried about happening with your kid or with other kids when they're in school? Dealing with your issues. Uh How assertive Uh are you in other places in your life? 
How easy can people make you feel guilty? Your separate issues, you will find that whatever you've got with a daughter, chances are you've got it with other people doing to you the same thing, just in a more sophisticated adult manner. By us, in our system, when you work with a parent and the child, you see the results three times quicker than ever. What if I feel that it's not a lot of those stuff? That's why, so you don't come to my center. (laughs) And then you speak to someone that will do that method. But in my opinion, and that's why I say all the time, that's why we don't take these questions, it's a workshop. Usually when parents take two workshops, or they take a workshop and then they go one-on-one, it's amazing what changes by their children. I'm not telling you that that is the case over here, but until you don't do the first steps first, you don't send, I don't find sending kids to therapy will work. Oh, so you think a workshop is better? Much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, thank you so yes. much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Certainly, I'm sorry if I was a little too on you, but this is not really focusing on you. This is focusing on all those parents listening out there that want to focus on the children. And what I'm trying to get the parents to recognize is focus on yourself and you see amazing changes in your children. We are going to Mrs. B. Mrs. B, you're on with Mordechai. Hi. Thank you so much for every everything. Like, it's amazing what you're doing. The workshop and the phone line and the questions and answers, everything. I mean, I cannot thank you enough. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, there and is thanks for taking sometimes my I call. forget how much is really question. going on. I have a question. a little interesting. I'm not sure if it's um, going to qualify because it's not an illness or, you know, an issue. I was always wondering about this um, concept of, like, when you feel, you have the feeling that you already lived through a certain thing that's happening right now. They call it like deja vu. Right. Yeah. What about that? So I was wondering if you can, if if it's a real thing, like, um, if, or if it's just a feeling, if it's just a sensation. Is this, is this, I honestly is there don't know. You hit the... it on the nail. I don't know that. Okay. I don't know. All right, but thank you anyways for everything. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for calling up. We are going to Mrs. W. Mrs. W, you're on the air. Hello? Yeah, hi. Hello. Yeah, and I'll ask you if you can just close the the program in the background. Okay, sure. I don't know. I just wanted to comment on the man that's called earlier about the waiting room issue. I just feel yeah. that whoever's waiting there, everybody needs to get help anyway. So you're all in the same boat. There's like nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be even think twice about. That's that. Like I taught myself already from experience. Thank you. I happen to agree with you. It means again, I'll share with you. I once had to go to a doctor, and it was more for one of the personal issues. And I'm in a waiting room where doctors generally, the more specialists, specialize in a certain field. And I was thinking, wow, I'm in a a waiting room with 15 other people all having that same issue because that's what the doctor specializes. And it was a drop uncomfortable. And then you realize, but they're also just uncomfortable as I am. Like, this is just how it goes. So for us to realize that the waiting rooms, I guess now we can explain it to the from world. In the Goyesha world, there is no problem going for therapy. Everyone's got an issue. Everyone's going to have a parent, a sibling, a brother, a child, or within themselves. So what's the big deal? You would wait by a pediatrician. In fact, I've recently read that the first pediatricians 
people used to be anti-doctors. Doctors, they're terrible. You've got to go only natural healing. So then we've got doctors. Then it was, I'm going to go to a doctor. We can't have a waiting room. Now, who has an issue going to a pediatrician with a child or to an adult doctor when you're just going to your doctor? The same will happen with the mental health field in the from world. And I'd like to share for you, with you and with everyone else that calls in, every phone call that we have, every case that we have, breaks the stigma in the from world that mental health can't be discussed. I remember when I originally did a program about six years ago, it was seven years ago, the first time I was on, and it was sponsored then by Pomegranate. I, the phone calls were just barely, I know someone that has a little stress. How do you deal with it? The questions were so vague and so general. And now the last three years, working over here, two and a half years with J-Root, it's unbelievable. People are calling up with real questions. People are sharing real stories. We're breaking the stigma. And just as you said, the mental health facilities that are being there and people like you that's saying that you went there, and it's no big deal, whatever you've got. If, if you've got, let's say, or the person's got depression or anxiety or OCD or just managing in school, whatever it should be, when, you're, when we start breaking the stigma that it's okay to be there, it'll be just like a regular doctor's waiting room. So, yes, it's still a stigma, and it's breaking more and more, and we dive in to be able to break that stigma that those that need help just go for help. But with every call, with every little program that we do, with every article that's written in any of the newspapers or magazines about mental health and people are talking about it, it makes it easier and more comfortable. So thank you for sharing that. I definitely yeah, agree with you. Excellent. And the number to call in, we've got now availability, is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And we look forward to taking your questions or your comments. Again, the number is 718-683-5858. And looking forward to taking your question or your comment, you can send a message right now. It's interesting because I get messages on to privately to me while we're doing the programs, and I'm getting a lot of the messages where someone's saying those who are in private practice are better than those in the center. And we've got so many people that are busy, let's say, with different comments and messages. And, again, I'd like people to release. These are all choices. These are all choices that we need to make. Generally in the world, if you're going to someone that is private, it'll, it's a little better. The same as when someone's going to dentists. You're going to go to a dentist that is covered by insurance. They would use different set of quality or different stuff. If someone's private, it'll be different. That's just the way of the world. Now, people, again, have a way of wanting everything and giving very little. It's an okay and it's a natural point that I've got it as well. But I love when one of the parenting workshops that I heard from someone told me, and I love that line saying, it's not that this is too expensive. I'm choosing not to spend my money on that. It means I can't afford it if I really want to. If Hashem, someone needs to come up with $100,000 for an illness to save someone's life, you would come up with borrowing it. You would do anything in the world to get it. So it's not that you can't afford it. It's that you're choosing not to spend it. And it's okay if you choose not to spend it. But we also need to realize every behavior, every choice that we make has got a positives and negatives. If you're making the choice to not go into debt or to not go into greater debt, then part of the price will be that it might not be as comfortable as you'd like. All right, we are going to the next caller, Mrs. B. Mrs. B, you're on with Mordechai. 
I might have a comment of the issue at hand. Go ahead. The person in the waiting room has a problem with uh, confidentiality. Maybe he could just pretend he's the healthy one. Like sometimes you say the healthy one has to go if they're dealing with a, uh, a BPD or um, something like that, or an, with a spouse, with a mother, with a sister, with a sibling, anything like that. Sometimes you say the healthy one has to go for therapy in order to make a, uh, uh, any changes. Yep. So all those that are in the waiting room, like nine of them are, are healthy, and only one is uh, the, the one with the problem. Great idea. That is a great cognitive shift where you change your view of it. That's saying if I'm in the waiting room means I am a client or I'm a patient. You can change it that you're even the family member. Either you're yeah. a healthy person, as you're saying, learning how to deal with a family member or that might have an issue. If a teacher is going for a student, learn how to deal with a student, or anything That's like that. Right. It, it can be That's a, right. a multiple different healthy ones going there also. That's right. So it happens to be that when I have Rabbanim or, or leaders or Rebetzins or whoever it should be, a teacher's coming, they feel much easier because that's what they think. They say no one knows I'm coming for myself. They think I'm coming for my students or I'm coming for Shilas or for questions. Right. You put so a again, yes. face and no one, no one knows anything. That's right. And that is a beautiful cognitive shift that people can do. So thank you for sharing that on air thank for whoever you is going. Yes, very much appreciated. Great idea. And we are going to go to Mrs. D. Mrs. D, you're next. And also for the call-in, keep on those calls coming in. I appreciate it. We've got a lot of calls coming in. And that's 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Thank you. Keep those calls coming in. Mrs. D, you're on with Mordechai. Hello? Hello, hello. All right, Nelson, I guess we'll go to Mrs. C then. Hello? Yes, hi, Mrs. C, you're on. Hi, Rabbi Imager. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you so much. And also, it's Miss C, I'm a teenager. Miss C, okay. Um, so my question is like this. Let me first give you a background, and then I'll give you the actual um, question. So I'm pretty, uh, I look like I'm from a stable home, uh, good-looking, I'm Baruch Hashem, everything, it looks like everything is going for me. Um, the My question is that, like I sit in class sometimes and I raise my hand and ask a question. I, when the teacher focuses directly on me, I look at her, but I like totally freeze up. Or when a person's talking di- like directly to me, I freeze, and I don't know why that's happening. Like I have confidence, I can stand up and sing in front of an audience, but when it's one on one, I totally freeze. I could talk, but I don't know what like I can't concentrate, and I don't know why that's happening to me. Yeah. So now what we generally do is we do a little bit more one-on-one with you. And you would have to answer that question. What do you feel when it's one-on-one that different when you're in a whole group? What would you say is the difference? It could happen when I'm in a whole group too, but let's not just as go, Let's just focus on this. Instead of going, let's just focus on this. Let's stay focused. When a teacher looks at you, what do you feel? She's like talking to me, but... No, no, go through your thought process. What do you think? So when she talks to you, therefore what? She might, all of a sudden you're getting all the attention on you. All of a sudden she might see a mistake that you're doing. What, what is the thought? When you see the teacher talking to you one-on-one, what goes through your head? I got to get I it right? I don't think. I freeze. No, go through before you freeze. freeze. Freezing, there's fight, flight, or freeze. They're all survival modes for fear. So let me shift it back to you. When the teacher looks at you, what's the first feeling that you got? Um, 
maybe fear of the tension. Good. But Let's go with the fear. What's the fear? When she's looking at you, what will she say? I don't think she's going to say, but it's not like she's looking at me. And no, So let me explain to you. What we do in therapy on one-on-one is when you talk to a friend, you can give the general ideas. Like when, like when someone says, you know, Chassashalm, I have chest pains. When you go to the doctor, the doctor's going to start going, what type of chest pain? Is it needles? Is it a sharp pin? Is it lots of little needles? Is it on the top part of your chest? Is it the lower part? Is it on the right? Is it the left? Do you feel doctors are already going to go too more detailed? When you call a therapist and you ask a question, it's not going to be general, oh, we now go into detail. We start taking the question apart. So I'm going to ask you the question again. That's what we do in therapy. And again, you can say it's too private and you don't want to deal with it, and that's 100% okay. But I just want you to realize this. That. Well, that's private. I just can't figure out what I'm thinking. That's... Go ahead. So think a second. The teacher's talking to you, and you're freezing because. What's the fear? What's the concern? It could be because of the attention that everyone's looking directly at me, but why wouldn't I have that when I stand up in front of a public audience? Well, maybe you've done many times. First, first I want you to realize, and for everyone listening, the difference between cognitive therapy and the more subconscious type therapy. A cognitive therapy would be busy showing you the difference between when maybe when you're public singing and when you're one-on-one in class. But I just want that's a cognitive method. The subconscious method would be stop rationalizing and start, uh, stop understanding. Go into the fear. Go more in that. Forget about why. So we're trying to get out of your filter of your logic and go more into the feelings. So if you'd go further into the feelings, it's forget about why. What does it feel like when everyone's looking at you? What are they thinking? What do you think they're thinking? Or what are you feeling while they're looking at you? They see exactly what I do. And what are you doing that they're looking at, that they're seeing? I don't know what I'd be doing. I don't know what could when happen. You're, the teacher's focusing on you and all the girls are looking at you. What are you afraid of? Um, I don't know. They're I mean, seeing what? They're thinking what? I don't know what they're thinking, but sometimes, like, if a teacher says something not, like, I don't know, if a teacher says something funny, like, I'd be laughing, no one would be laughing, and... So you're afraid that be, they might laugh at you if not laugh you at made me, a mistake I'd or be, if the teacher's still... I'd be laughing, and then they were... They're not laughing. Like, Good. So like, let's understand this. So when the teacher looks at you, you might start laughing. They might start laughing. And then the teacher might get annoyed or you'll feel like a fool. Why are you laughing? Kind of, yeah. Excellent. So now we understand why. Now let's see if we can take it to the difference when you're singing. When you're singing, no one's laughing. When you're singing, it's rehearsed over and over. When you're singing... I could do it like... I do it even though, like, even one-on-one singing, even without rehearsing, I have no issue. Yeah, but do you laugh and do people laugh when you sing? No. That's the difference. So let's recognize that but, when... Hmm? when I'm, even when I'm one-on-one with this person and no, one even, no one's going to laugh around me, I, I see this person focusing at me and whenever, whatever I do, the person's looking directly at me. So if I do something... Like, not, I don't know, if I do something, it's also like when I blink sometimes, when I look at the person, the blink, I feel like I can't blink just because of that. 
let's go ahead and try this. Let, let me try explaining it like this. You're trying to analyze the difference between two places, and you're saying, well, if I don't, uh, let me try to, let me give you an example. Imagine you can bake a wonderful chocolate cake, okay? But when it comes to make a challenge, which is different, your different settings, your prepared different, it's different set of skills. You're saying, well, why do I have a problem making a challenge? They're different skills. They're not the same. And you're going to start learning how to recognize how can you maybe use your skills from baking to how to make a challenge. But being in a class one-on-one -on -one with a teacher looking at you, where there's past history of first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, there's so much more going on in history when you've got an issue versus when you're just singing when you might have some other skills or people are always encouraging you, you could do it, you're so good. You're talented in that. There can be many different reasons that are going on between the two. Can you recognize that? Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. So what we're saying is recognize the fact that you can sing publicly is fantastic. means you have a, a nature and a talent to be public, which is great. And now when you ask a question in school with a teacher, there can be a reason why you're stuck, and it's okay. You will can now use your talents from singing how to get over that. Or if you can recognize, make a list of five of the fears or five of the concerns when a teacher looks at you. One will be the class will laugh. Another one, you might make a mistake or you won't ask it clear enough. A different one can be that it might be a wrong question or might not be a good question and the teacher might not like it or the girls might not like it. But when you're singing, you know exactly what you're doing. You've rehearsed right. it over and over or you know you're good. It might be when you ask questions, you saw other girls make mistakes or other girls laugh at them, that automatically it will affect you when you see what happens to others. And what do I do with the list? No, no, no. That's the, now you want to know what we do in therapy. This is an awareness based. You asked what was the difference between singing publicly and when you ask a question, and now we started getting the awareness. So um, is there anything like I can work on myself just for getting over the fears or... Take my book. So we've got a book that I wrote, Alive, A 10-Step Guide to a Vibrant Life. Over there, each chapter is a separate session, a separate yesoid. When you master those 10 yesoidas, you will find how much easier it's going to be, definitely. Okay, They're what's in the all the local again? Judaica bookstores, wherever what's they the sell an English book. What's the name of the book? Alive. Alive, A-L-I-V-E, it's called Alive, A 10-Step Guide to a Vibrant Life, to an Energized Vibrant Life. Okay, and what I've done so is I've taken 10 of the most classical sessions that I've done with almost every person, and we put them into one book. So each chapter is really a book, Bifnei Asma. I know people always tell me, like, wow, you could write one book of an entire chapter. That's true. I put 10 separate chapters. Ten separate books into one. They flow, and one builds on the next. Great. Let us go to Mrs. H. Mrs. Mrs. H, you're on with Mordechai. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay. I wanted to know why people are afraid to get close to certain population. In other words, the elderly people, why are people afraid to get close to them? 
What would you say is the answer? I think they're afraid of themselves. But that's what I think. Like to get to give you an example, right? Uh, you you mentioned in passing to a neighbor. Oh, by the way, so hasn't been so for a while. Maybe it would be a good idea if you could go visit them in their house. So they're like, oh, well, this so-and-so wasn't in show. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Excellent. Great. So let's go ahead and take your question, and your answer is really good, which is people avoid, and people avoid the elderly sometimes, that they're afraid. Either they'll get older or they're afraid some of the pain that it goes or some of the needs that come up. And really thank you for bringing up this point and this focus that it's so important for us to focus on our elderly and give them time and give them focus. Great. We are going to Mrs. G. G, you're on with Mordechai. Hello. 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 Yes. Yeah, hi. Um, I have a pretty general question. I know, like, it's almost 9 o'clock. I wonder if you'll be able to answer it for me. There's a person who has, like, emotional issues in life. They're not facing reality. They don't even realize it themselves that they have a problem because they always have to be right. But they realize that they're always struggling with people, that they never have a healthy relationship. And they're always exploding at others. They go for therapy just because they feel that, everyone's to blame, and they want to learn how to deal with people. And they come to therapy. Does it make sense that a therapist should tell such a person that he should cut off with his family in order because they are the problem and um, they are causing him to have hard, uh, hard situations in life? Would a therapist ever tell that to a client, or is, it, is a therapist allowed to say that to a client without first consulting or before asking the parents and the family members of this specific client for their perspective. I'll tell you, you're asking a bomb question that takes 15 minutes to discuss when we've got a minute. So let me just put it this way. What happens, since I'm a therapist, and since this is the most classical difficulty when I get in, and many times I don't take cases just because I see that this is coming. Let's try it differently. What happens if a client comes in saying, I'm disconnecting from my parents anyhow, or from my siblings anyhow, I need to heal. And then do you know who the family blames? The therapist. Have you thought about just asking you the other way? Is it possible that your sibling is fed up with the family and needs to heal? And they're so just why, starting at so the therapist and now the they're blaming the therapist? Why would his focus on that? What? Why wouldn't the therapist try to help him build a healthy relationship? The, let me explain to you. Your, notice your question. Why are we not talking about now your shalom bias? You called about one subject, so I'm focusing on your subject. If a client comes in saying, I'm disconnecting from my parents because or my family, I'm such pain, I need to get better. But I'm disconnecting now. Talk to me how I can work on my shalom bias. So that's what the therapist is working on. We work where the client's at, not with the whole story. We can't start talking areas. You've got to start at step one. Tell you, we got about 10 seconds left, so we won't be able to address it. What I would ask you is this question is a good 20-minute to a half-hour topic. Call up next week right on, right on time at 9 o'clock. Amir Tashem, we will take your question. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's a great topic. And thank you all. Thank you, Nelson, for standing in for Reb Nissen, Reb Nissen, Mazel Tov, and all the simplest that you got tonight, the weddings, and Hatzlacha. I'm looking forward to having you all next week.